Our look at the heart and center, the power of the gospel, continues here today on Graceful Truth. Hi, and welcome to the program. Join us as we dive back into the book of Romans next with Pastor Steve Converse on Graceful Truth. And again, greetings and welcome. This is Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse. We're back in the book of Romans today, and because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, we must believe it ourselves and proclaim it boldly. And that's what we're looking at today here on Graceful Truth. We're back into Romans chapter 1 and the gospel seeing it as the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, and that truth giving us the power to go out and proclaim it. With more now, our teacher and pastor with this edition of Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse. This morning as we turn our hearts to God's Word, I just want to read for us a text beginning in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 beginning in, actually want to, I want to begin in verse 14. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When we come to this text of Scripture, uh, it's really amazing that you could surmise the whole book of Romans into these two verses. And I want to speak to you this morning about the gospel One gospel for all people. Uh, James Boyce, a wonderful man of God and commentator, wrote that these verses are the most important in the letter, and perhaps in all of literature. They are the theme of this epistle and the essence of Christianity. As we've said before, it was Martin Luther's wrestling with and finally coming to understand verse 17 that literally transformed that man's life and led to the whole Protestant Reformation. So these verses have an incalculable effect on world history. They've had, and they will have a profound effect on your life personally and on my life personally if God opens our eyes to see the truths that are here this morning. But before we look at these verses in details, I just want to you to understand the flow of Paul's reasoning here in his letter. He begins in verse 16 with that word, for, for I am not ashamed. And you wonder, okay, what has he been talking about here? It connects it to verse 15. Your, your Bible may have a little subheading there. The ESV has the righteous shall live by faith as we begin verse 16. But really, they almost run together. So he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? Why, Paul? 
And then he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. When we stop and we think of what that means to be ashamed of the gospel, you can probably conclude a lot of different things. But I think to bring it down to real life, to bring it down to where the, as we say, the rubber meets the road for us, what does it mean to not be ashamed of the gospel? I would have to tell you that if you're not ashamed of the gospel, I think that you will be proclaiming the gospel. Can you be a Christian and be ashamed of the gospel? I would say yes. Because I know way too many Christians who do not proclaim the gospel. They may live for Christ. You hear a lot of Christians that say, well, I don't like to preach to people, but I just live my life the way God wants me to, and hopefully they'll get the message of the gospel somehow. Well, unless you live a perfect life, that's never going to happen. And if it was the idea to not be ashamed of the gospel, to just live a Christian life, that's all it means, then our pet animals could do that rather well. (laughs) Because a lot of times when we think of not being ashamed of the gospel, we somehow connect it with the way we live. Well, you have to do certain things. You have to live a certain way. If you don't smoke, if you don't drink, I don't know of any pets that do those things. At least nothing, none that I've seen. And if that's the case, would that make them not ashamed of the gospel? It's silly, but no, it wouldn't. So we can't really say that just because the way we live means that we're not ashamed by the gospel or ashamed of the gospel. But it really has the idea that if we're not ashamed of the gospel, we will be proclaiming this message because we understand that it's the power of God unto salvation. And so Paul says here, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. I'm not ashamed to do that. Why? Because it's the only way that someone's going to get saved. It's the only way someone can hear the truth of God. And I think far too many believers today, myself included, take too casually our call to preach the gospel, our call to personal evangelism, our call to reach the lost for Christ. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise. And I think sometimes maybe we rest on our laurels too much in our theological camp and say, well, God's just going to work it all out. Well, that's true, he will. Because God's sovereign. God's sovereign in salvation, clearly. But that does not negate our our responsibility to preach the gospel of Christ. It's the good news. Why should we be ashamed of it? It's the power of God for salvation. And he says there, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Is this something new that Paul just thought up? Is this something that divine revelation from God that, that, that all of a sudden this is a new truth? No. We're going to look at this today. Because he quotes from the book of Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. But you wonder when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's really an understatement. It's an affirmative that's expressed in by the negative of the contrary. For example, if you say, he's not a bad athlete, what do you mean? He's pretty good. 
That's what you mean. And so when Paul is saying that he is not ashamed of the gospel, he means I will glory in the gospel. I'm proud of the gospel. But why does he express it this way? Well, there's a lot of reasons why a first century Roman might feel a little bit uncomfortable about this Jewish man coming to a sophisticated city like Rome to preach about a Galilean carpenter, prophet, who was executed by the Roman government in one of the most humiliating ways possible. Crucifixion. After all, this was Rome, the capital of the civilized world. And so your, be- your message better appeal to the educated in this place, or it's not going to fly. It won't be heard. Your message needs to offer political solutions to the pressing needs of the empire, or once again, you won't gain anyone's ear. It had better offer some answers to the massive problems of slavery, of greed, of lust, of violence. Well, the people in Rome wouldn't listen to Paul. But you notice that Paul's message here to the Romans, his main message did not directly address those issues. His main message focused on the main need of every human being, beloved, whether it's your soul or mine, whether the most religious Jew or the most educated, worldly, immoral Greek, the need to be reconciled to the holy God is a need that everyone has. How can we be right before God? That's the question Paul is answering. And so Paul's theme here to the Romans is that God and the good news that comes from God tells us how sinners can be delivered from his righteous judgment and reconciled, brought back into a proper relationship with him, their creator. This is called salvation. That's why we say people must be saved. In order to be saved, you have to understand that you're lost. (laughs) And so what Paul is telling us here is because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, we must believe it and proclaim it boldly. That's really what he's saying in these texts. So I want to share with you this morning a couple different points before our communion time together. And we're going to focus on the good news, the gospel of Christ. And the first point is simply this. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what background you come from. Doesn't matter how sinful you've been. Remember who's writing these words. Because he writes them with one of authority, one of experience, one of knowledge, one of testimony. We're talking about an individual who was formerly known as Saul, whose main task as a Jew, a Pharisee, was to go out and slaughter Christians for his religious cause. Not because he had some personal vendetta against them, but he did it for religious matters. He thought he was doing the right thing according to his religion. Squash out these Christians. They're taking glory away from our religion. And that's the way man-made religions are. They compete for people's attention. 
And so Paul is writing these words as someone who's been personally touched, personally transformed by the gospel of God. And he writes with words of conviction, words of passion, words of appeal. Because he understands the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The only way we're going to proclaim it boldly or unashamedly is to believe it. Is to believe it. But to believe the gospel, you first have to understand it. You can't simply say, okay, yeah, I believe the law of, second law of thermodynamics. What's it about? I don't know. I just believe it. (laughs) That wouldn't make any sense. But if you explain the second law of thermodynamics and everything is kind of decaying, everything is falling apart on a continuous downward spiral, and then you look around and you realize that after a while your car gets rusty and things break down and your body begins to break down and you realize, yeah, this, this law is true. Why? Because you understand it. You believe it. Someone says, do you believe the law of gravity? You would say, sure. And they would say, why? Well, if I pick something up and I drop it on the floor, it's going to fall down. If I jump off a building, I don't float, I fall to the ground. Well, the gospel is true. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, the gospel is all about salvation. That's what it's about. It's not about just turning over a new leaf. It's not about feeling good about yourself. It's not about trying to find principles to help you wealthy and, and make you wise and, and healthy. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel says that it's the power of God to everyone who believes for salvation. That word, believe, there carries the basic idea of trusting in. When you sat in your chair this morning, I don't think that you came over to your chair and checked it out and pushed on it and maybe jumped on a little bit to make sure it would hold you. No, you've been in our church probably before and you've sat in chairs before and they've never collapsed. You have faith that that chair is going to keep you up. That's the idea here, this word believe. It carries the basic idea of trusting in, relying on, having faith in. And when it's used in the New Testament of salvation, it is usually in the present continuous form, which means it could be translated is believing. It's daily living filled with acts of faith. That's the idea. That's what faith is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. Don't ever believe that your Christianity can be kind of widowed down to one act of faith on one day saying, oh yeah, I got saved when I was three, or I got saved when I was seven, and that was it. Well, let me hear your testimony. I always get nervous when I ask for testimonies, and people go back to, well, I was in the fifth grade, and, 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 and they end it right about there. And my question is always, well, what has God done for you lately? <laughs> is there anything that God's done in your life since you got saved? Because that's the idea here. It's a continuous belief that God is saving us. It's daily living filled with acts of faith. On our way back, we had a stop over in Dubai. And in India, you're not supposed to drink the water out of the tap because it would make you sick. And so every time you get up to brush your teeth, you take a bottle of water and you do it that way. You don't want to drink the water out of the tap because you're not used to it. And you'll catch some kind of something that will make you sick. 
So you have this in your mind. At first, it's a little difficult to get into the habit because here you just turn the water on and you have faith. Okay, this water is going to be okay. The water looks clean. Doesn't come out muddy or anything, but it's not good for you because you're not, not from India. So for a couple of weeks, that's what we're doing, using water bottles to brush our teeth and rinse our mouth out, whatever. When we stopped in Dubai, we were in the hotel. We both kind of laughed because we both were, we got to brush our teeth. Where's the water bottle? Oh, that's right. <laughs> we don't have to do that anymore. Praise the Lord. See, and there's little things like that that we just have acts of faith in. When we turn the faucet to get a drink of water, we trust that that water is safe to drink. When we drive across the bridge, we trust that it won't collapse. When we get on an airplane, we, we trust that the pilot's gone through the proper training, even though I've never met this guy. And that he's going to get us to our destination safe and on time. See, people could not live daily without having some form of implicit trust in a lot of different things. Some form of faith. All of living requires Natural faith, I would call it. But see, Paul here is not talking about natural faith. He's talking about a supernatural faith. He's talking about a faith that only can come from God. Produced by God. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says that it's a faith not of ourselves. But what? But it's a gift of God. See, that's the faith of the gospel. So I want to explore five statements about salvation that we get from our text this morning. Five statements about salvation. First of all, salvation is the main need of every person. Salvation is the main need of every person. And that's the point here that that Paul is going to make. From verses 18, as we look at this in the coming weeks, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. He shows us over and over again in those, those verses, you read through that, what you're going to see is all have sinned and all fall under the righteous condemnation of God. And because all have sinned, whether they're some religious Jew or whether they're some worldly Greek, it doesn't matter. All means all. All have been alienated from God. And God is absolutely righteous. And so because of that, all are under God's wrath, under God's judgment. And he immediately explains, we'll look at this next week, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. See, salvation refers to the very act of being rescued from God's wrath, from God's judgment. And it's a judgment and a wrath that we deserve because of our own sin. What it means is, salvation means that we're delivered from the penalty of sin. We're delivered from the power of sin. We're delivered from the presence of sin, ultimately. When we get saved, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, when God supernaturally transforms our lives and opens our eyes with the gift of faith, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. That happens the moment you, do, you believe. The moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, the penalty of sin goes away. And we're be, being delivered by the power of sin as we grow in godliness, as we, we go through the process of sanctification. As we choose to live daily more and more for Christ. See, you don't become a Christian one day and live the perfect Christian life the rest of your life. 
That's the holiness teaching. That's, that's the people that believe somehow you can attain, obtain sinless perfection. That's ridiculous. It goes against whatever scripture says. We're not called to be perfect in our living. That would be impossible. God wouldn't expect us to be. That's why he gives us grace. That's why we're forgiven from the penalty of sin. But as we choose to live by the power of the Spirit each and every day, as we come under the filling of the Spirit, the control of the Spirit each and every day, which is a continuous thing, the moment you sin, you're yielding, you're you're taking back control from the Holy Spirit of God. That's what you're doing. But when we live under the power of the Spirit, we live in a way that is pleasing to God. We, We see the fruit of the Spirit kind of met out in our lives. We can't manufacture that on our own. That's something God does for us and through us and in us. That's why Paul says that it's God that Christ that works in me. It's not something we do. We don't have a little punch list. Oh, now you're a Christian. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to do this. And if you do all these things, then, then you're going to be, be righteous in God's eyes. No, that's not what the gospel's about. Salvation refers to being rescued from God's wrath and God's judgment that we deserve. But it also means being delivered from the very presence of sin that will happen when we stand before him one day in glory. Jude chapter, or verse 24, excuse me, says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, And to present you what? Blameless, holy, right? Before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. It's God that presents us that way. We don't keep ourselves saved. He does. Salvation also has a lot of positive aspects. You enjoy a reconciled relationship with God, Romans 5.10. You experience his peace, Romans 5.1. You receive the unfathomable riches of Christ, Ephesians 1. But somehow we fall into the trap in the church that we think that we have to sell the gospel. That somehow it's up to us to be a salesman of the gospel. And when we fall into that niche of trying to sell the gospel of Christ, we think, well, you know what, we want to make it appealing to people. And so we want to gloss over the negative aspects of the gospel, the idea that you've got to repent of your sin, that you've got to trust wholly and solely in the work of Christ. And we want to focus only on the positive. When that happens, beloved, we fall into the camp of being ashamed of the gospel. I was sharing with the pastors over there last Saturday that shared with them the illustration of Don't think for a second that as a pastor of your church that somehow you're the cook. That somehow you got to go in the kitchen and you got to make up some ingredients that are going to appeal to your people. That's not our role. And I shared with them the the illustration that we're not the cook. we're, We're simply the waiter. We bring God's food to the table. If people eat it, God bless them. If they don't, that's their problem. But we don't want to change the meal. We don't want to change the ingredients of the gospel. And there's a lot of too many churches today that are doing just that. 
Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.